Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Waiting List Podcast. On our show today, we have Omar, better known as The Wrong Wrist on IG. This episode is somewhat special, well, at least for me. Um, maybe not for Dan, because he doesn't have a soul inside there. And the reason this episode is special is because when we first started, it was never our intention to create content that moved people. And to be honest, we just wanted to talk shit about watches, and then we thought it would be fun to record it. But then as time went on, a lot of you guys messaged us, and then messages were always about how someone's story really touched them and really made their day and then made them self-reflect. So I think today's episode is going to be one of those episodes. And also, I just want to say that before every episode, the questions are usually shared within the team. So to Dan and Jack or the other way around. But this is probably one of the few episodes that um, my co-host, well, Dan in this case, hasn't even seen the questions because I really want him to hear Omar's story firsthand without any kind of filter, without my voice or my thoughts involved. So welcome to the show, Omar. Hey, thank you very much, Long Long, and nice to meet you, Dan. I mean, uh, yeah, you said it right off the bat. Uh, This is all about emotions. This is all about the journey, the people that come through our lives. And whether we want to shit talk about watches or be a little bit more serious, it's just this 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 beauty of this uh, hobby we all share like really brought us all together and if we can shine a light on somebody's journey uh, yeah i mean that that would make me really happy cool now where do i begin because there's so much to like dive into i would say um first let's just start off with where are you from and where are you now yeah, so I'm from Lebanon. I was born and bred in Beirut, Lebanon. I grew up there, spent most of my life there. Uh, for a short period of time, I lived in Paris for three years during the Civil War from 88 to 91. And eventually, long story short, now I made my way into Hong Kong. And uh, I'm sure we're going to go into details mm-hmm. about it, but just to tell everybody that I've reached a point in my life where I needed to start fresh. And you always hear where people say, if you do something you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life. So I just took a leap of faith and I came to Hong Kong and I came to join uh, a company that uh, is working in the watch industry. And yeah, that's basically it. Okay. Um, With your Instagram account, how did you come up with that name? The wrong risk. (laughs) That's actually a funny one because many people think that the wrong risk is something I condone. It's actually pretty ironic and sarcastic. I don't condone the wrong risk because I don't believe in a right or wrong risk. (laughs) So it came about where I started Instagram, actually not through watches, but through fashion. My previous job was in fashion, but fashion is always associated with watches, at least for me. So I was always posting outfits, inspirations, and watches. And so I used to get a lot of comments Mm -hmm. like, hey, you're wearing it on the wrong wrist. Hey, (laughs) this is the wrong wrist. And so there was a lot of engagement there. 
And I was challenged by a friend of mine when I wanted to start my watch account. He's like, well, yeah, why don't you why don't you stick to the wrong wrist and make it happen? And it just organically happened where the wrong wrist naturally started shaping. Mm-hmm. Initially, it started with me posting everybody who wears their watch on the right hand. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't mainly about me. So it was me, my watches, but also anybody who wears it on the right hand. And then it grew and it became more my journey, my my lifestyle. And mm. yeah, exactly. So what I like to wear and what I like in this uh, in this hobby. Mm. And I remember you had actually quite a big following. And then suddenly one day, I think your Instagram account was just wiped out or something happened to it. And then you kind of yeah, it does. Again, right? Yeah, I had two accounts. So one is the fashion account and one is the watch account. And uh, they're all, they're both were very organic and they were both very, uh, I mean, I've never posted or boosted any uh, followers. And so on the fashion account, I had uh, reached a number of followers that was quite substantial. But the watch account grew much bigger. I guess people like, like shiny objects and when they see watches, maybe they interact more with watches. So that account grew much stronger. At some point, one of them was, uh, I lost the funny story. Let me tell you what happened. I was on vacation with my kids. I dropped my phone in one of the roller coaster rides and I lose access to my Instagram account. So when I'm recovering the Instagram account, I forgot the password and mm-hmm. it was blocked by Facebook. So yeah, I had to switch the account. I had to go back to the uh, original fashion account made it into a watch content mm-hmm. and it wasn't easy because like the main focus there was fashion and I had to build it back from scratch and you know reintroduce people to this account so yeah that's what happened I mean one of the account got lost I had to make the switch and now I have access to both of them but the main focus is the wrong wrist yeah Dan so so how many like followers did you have before you lost the account on the on the initial wrong wrist i think i got up to sixty thousand, and on the my, my other account is called the daddy o and this one had forty thousand. so when i made the switch the wrong wrist became the daddy o and i have forty thousand followers there and with the other account it's just dormant now so i have sixty thousand followers but i'm not quite active over it oh so isn't that like a like a waste like well sorry, absolutely Dan, like that, it is a, i mean like yeah <laughs> yeah it is a waste and and i don't know what to do with it you know for a long time i just wanted to make something out of it but uh, i'm no longer involved in fashion so yeah maybe and you know now with instagram you can double post on two accounts so maybe i can post again and share with the other account mm. eventually well, can, maybe uh... i'll merge them you can give it to me because I'm in need of external validation from everyone to survive yeah. in this world. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Does all like, day. Yeah, you can if have I, it. As long as I get like 500 likes per photo, yeah, you I feel I'm ready to start the day. Oh, really? Yeah, ready to start the day. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't care how it comes. Yeah, you know, and then it's, I start yours, obsessing man. about the comments. Yeah, it's I can't wait yours. to just click that little heart button to just engage with each comment. You know, to be very honest, at the beginning, it was very, very much about the likes, the comments. 
but then i mean along the way you know you just focus more on the people I, i'd rather have 10 genuine people that i interact with rather than to have 500 leaving me comments you know so yeah for me i'm quite satisfied and content with uh, what i get from it Did you if, if you ever want to laugh yeah just go to long's sure. page and look at her comments like <laughs> no no i'm serious like that that part's actually not a joke like i mean the, me the private messages are like even funnier like way funnier right way funnier but the, some of those text uh comments they're just enough to like crack you crack you up and you know as soon as you're laughing you, your day's made yeah i'll definitely go back and go and read through some of them for sure I'm yeah. sure Dan's Dan's comment will be the most um <laughs> dry. Dry. Yeah. You know, now that I get to because yeah, long long I've I've yeah. we've we've hanged out quite a few times, so yeah. we know each other. But as as uh, along the way I'll get to know Dan. So probably when I go back and read them now, it would make sense. Yeah. So and yeah. then probably I'll laugh even harder now. Because well, there was like, a phase. There was a phase where we were making those Bitcoin comments. Oh like, yeah, because yeah, Bitcoin, and people were saying your your account's been hacked, but we're doing it deliberately. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I remember she was the one that started it. She like put this number, this thing on my account. Long's yeah. photo, remember, and yeah, be like, yeah. uh, "I made twenty million. <laughs> you know, guys, you just took me back like maybe 10, 12 years ago when we just first started Instagram. There was yeah. a joke between the original people that were there. And we used to comment on each other photos and we used to use the hashtag dolphin stocks. So people were like, what the hell are dolphin stocks? Yeah, and we were yeah. talking about buying dolphin stocks and making shitload of money out of dolphin stocks. <laughs> getting to buy the watches because we're invested in dolphin stocks. <laughs> so, so, so what are dolphin stocks? It's just like nonsense banter just among uh, friends. Yeah. <laughs> Taking yeah. the piss at one another. <laughs> hey, but you know what I, this is not even in the questions I prepared, but I, the last time I met Omar, um, we were talking about food and how food is obviously a big part of my life. And then what really surprised me, Dan is like trying to not laugh. By the way, I'm so self-conscious because he always bullies me. So I couldn't eat, <laughs> I couldn't eat a snack and I'm hungry. Okay, but anyways. Yeah. This is a so, person that yeah. sends me breakfast pics on a regular <laughs> basis, okay? And yeah. like, that's fair enough. But the, the point of each breakfast pic isn't to show me what the food is. It's to show me that the quantity is increasing every day. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, look she's what playing I can tennis. put into a sandwich. You know, I it's hate one of those. this podcast. It's like really... she's playing tennis. She deserves a good meal, you know, to reward herself. <laughs> okay, so the last time I spoke to Omar, basically we were talking about food, and the thing that really blew my mind was that um, Omar had a surgery, basically, but then it limited the amount of food he could eat, and for some reason. Um, yeah. So basically what I wanted to say was this is one of those really mind blowing things for me where it's like, how does someone suddenly, okay, let me reword that. My question is more, um, you were maybe a bit insecure before your surgery, but also yeah. because of age, right? Um, yeah. how come you were so confident with saying, okay, I'm going to grow a fashion page. Yeah. 
the thing is the fashion page uh, happened uh, when I actually lost the weight before mm -hmm. the surgery because I, I I wouldn't say I've been struggling with weight loss. It's just my metabolism is very slow. I don't burn enough calories. And when I was a teenager, I couldn't care less. So, and I wasn't very active because the only sport that I was interested in was skiing. And this was something I would, could only do in winter. Mm. So anyways, I was gaining weight. And eventually around university years, I lost it. And yeah, when you lose the weight, you start feeling confident. And this is where the fashion, I mean, came into place. It started when I was like thin, when I lost the weight initially on my own. But like I told you the other day, with time, and then I eventually put it all back on. And when I was in my 30s and I was married, expecting my first daughter, uh, I tried to lose it again. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't happening. So I had to resort to the operation. And that's that's why I did it. I just did it in hope that I can have healthier lifestyle. Like mm. I can uh, go back to wearing nice clothes because I was still uh, working in fashion. Mm. Uh, I I do adapt very well because I know what to wear in in in, in like in, in any situation. And it's funny because my closet will have sizes from small to extra large, double extra large. Yeah. So there's always something ready there, you know, to pick and uh, and go on from. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, fashion started and I picked up on fashion when I was slimmer before. Yeah. And then I already had uh, my way into fashion. So it didn't really matter when I gained back the weight. I, I had some, uh, if you want, confidence later on that I've built with time. And uh, yeah, if this answers your question, this is um, where I stand with that. Actually, Sorry, gonna... but like, how big were you? Huge humongous yeah because you're you not painting it you're not painting it out like that i was thinking like hang on do you know gabriel surgery. yeah do you know gabriel iglesias yeah i love the him fluffy guy yeah so he has like different categories and then yeah. there's like fat obese huge and then there's like damn <laughs> i was in the damn category <laughs> but so was austin uh, though <laughs> that's what he told me yeah but I was like 130 kilos. If you want to put a number to it, I was around 130. And uh, I'm an average guy. I'm not that tall. I'm 175, okay. one meter 75. So, yeah, I've, I've shown you the picture long, long. So I think you know what I look like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've got pictures like that. <laughs> no, no, sorry. That came out as like a joke. But I'd, like, I, I, I used to be a bit of a ch chubby guy. Uh, yeah. Used to hide it well. Um, again, like you, always kind of bubbling away in the background. I was this like very self-conscious kid and part of probably the you... reason why I spent a shit ton on clothes that didn't make me look better. <laughs> right. You know, you know, you know, what's funny, Dan, is that uh, growing up being chubby, you know, because you're, you're in the age where like you're discovering your sexuality, you're meeting yeah. girls, maybe yeah. you don't look to look for the girls to be. Yeah interested in you so you develop this if you want uh funny cute uh, personality so i was always the funny guy around yeah. and 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 ironically when i lost the weight i couldn't care less anymore about making people uh you know laugh i don't know if it was a little bit uh, i was fed up from it or because i was seen as the funny guy but when i lost the weight and then girls started to be more interested in just the looks you know you become shallow and then Eventually, I wasn't happy with who I became. So even though 
I was like slim, attractive, uh, girls were like interested, but then I stuck to myself and this is something I learned, you know, in life, just remain who you are regardless of, of what you look like or the way, you know, you, you might be fat, you might be thin, it doesn't matter, just stick to your personality and this is where you should be forever. Yeah, but it also takes you, takes somebody to go through that journey to actually know that. If you hadn't uh, lost the weight, you wouldn't have seen the person you became. I agree. Therefore, made adjustments, right? Absolutely, it was an eye opener. Yeah, for sure. Mm. I I actually have a question about fashion. Like both you guys can answer. You know, for a girl, um, one you can't actually hide the fat for a girl because you still, um, like, I guess your face or something still gives it away that overall you are a somewhat chubby person, right? but the other thing so what do guys actually wear when they feel fat and then two when you lose the weight and you're skinny right you see girls mm. you can wear tight clothes but then what do mm. guys wear uh yeah yeah go ahead then if you want you can you yeah can well you see where guys and girls put the weight on mm. is different isn't it so for guys they put the weight around the midriff mm-hmm. uh you know and so I think you can get away with clothes a lot more, especially in the winter. Mm. You know, guys can go to the gym, somewhat bulk out a chest. Yeah. Right. Covers the chest, covers the tummy a little bit and you kind of look okay. Right. Mm. Um, and so you can put on a coat or a jacket mm. and then we'll just cover it up as long as you've got the shoulders. Right. And the chest, it, it kind of just softens the softens it out. I think it's when you have that belly which comes out, which way beyond your chest, then it's a bit like harder mm. to to thingy. And then with skinny, well, if we talk about sexuality, generally mm. girls don't like really skinny guys. Mm. Certainly they don't like guys that are skinnier than them. Mm. But when they're skinny, like a tailor can do a lot of things to fill you out, right? Mm. So it gives you the appearance of, you know, like when you see a skinny guy wearing a t-shirt or something, you never actually know how skinny he is, right? Mm-hmm. You know he's skinny because of his face, maybe his arms, mm-hmm. yeah, his, his like forearm, but you don't know how skinny his actually waist is. Mm-hmm. It's because sometimes you get people that are skinny fat. And again, you know, they have a belly and they're skinny, yeah. but you, you don't even know. So mm-hmm. but guys, guys can get away with like slightly baggy, but you go too baggy and you, know, you just look like a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Dan is is spot on. Uh, I would say also because of the trend nowadays, fashion is streetwear and streetwear is more relaxed. So you can hide it more because you're originally wearing sweatpants and loose hoodies. Uh, Color wise, it's very important to to know, like if you're overweight, black will always make you look thinner. So your wardrobe will tend to be more darker colors. Mm. When you lose the weight and you're slim, you go more bright. Mm. Somehow you want to go into like, slim fit but not like skinny fit like you wouldn't yeah. wear skinny jeans but you would wear straight tapered jeans so yeah that's the way i see it and that's the way it was mm-hmm. for me at least but i don't agree with uh, with girls not being able to hide it because i think you guys like lingerie does a great job for you you guys have like those gains where you can wear and then uh, yeah like you can oh, hide everything you mean, like those spanx things but then that exactly yeah you. You can't even yeah yeah i <laughs> won't lie to long. you I, yeah i tried it once 
I tried it once. I'm like, yeah. oh, there's no shame in it. <laughs> just to see what it feels and it was terrible I, really I couldn't wait to go home and yeah. take it off <laughs> like Lauren do you think you're fat do I think I'm or do you fat? think you're like chubby yeah definitely yeah you see I don't think you are but, me neither uh I'll yeah. tell you why though because you um because uh let's say Okay, I know this is so pathetic that I'm, I'm using the fashion industry to dictate what I think is healthy or not. I think I'm extremely healthy. And I think if today I did a BMI test, I would be a bit on the uh, overweight side, but even that I can ignore. But, um, but in terms of like how my body functions and how it helps me do sports and just on a daily basis, I feel great to carry a bit of weight. But the thing that I mean, as in chubby is because I know a lot of clothes are not designed to look a certain way. So if I have to be very specific about um, what brands I can wear and not not wear, it actually limits already everything. So my goal to be skinny isn't to be like, oh, I want to be the skinniest girl. I want to look a certain way. I just want to be able to walk in and say I can wear every single brand because I'm like um, basically like a stick that can put that is versatile. You can wear everything. Mm. Yeah. So in that in that sense, I'm not skinny at all. But I would say that, uh, that you don't have to be skinny again to to be able to be that versatile. So and just to make things clear, you're definitely not chubby. Definitely, you're not you're even one percent chubby. I'm not chubby, Dad. Wow. Not at all. <laughs> wow. Not at all. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. yeah maybe not. <laughs> Okay, can we just go back to the Instagram thing uh, for a second? Sure. So obviously, yes. this, if you look at the way you post and the way you write your captions, you're very transparent and you really do speak what's on your mind. Um, so I would say that, I mean, would you say that Instagram for you has been a channel for you to, I guess, like share your feelings and then see who connects with you or what? Absolutely, Long Long, for sure. I'm a type of person where I like, I mean, it's just, just something that is uh, within me. I like to, to help people around me. So uh, from a young age, I was always a good listener. So people would come to me and would just like, I don't know, whatever they want to talk about, they would mm -hmm. talk about. And I would try to help as much as possible. So Instagram was a channel where also I wanted maybe to reach a, a larger audience. It's very hard, you know, we live in a world that we are very connected, but at the same time, we're very disconnected. Mm. So if, if I'm in Lebanon and I can reach a guy in Brazil or a girl in Brazil and have a positive impact on her, I mean, this for me is very rewarding. It's not easy sometimes because people will judge what you say. And, you know, there's the good and the bad comments that will come your way. But I believe as long as you're honest, as long as you're sharing Mm -hmm. uh, what you think within the common norms are true to you. So you're okay there. And this is how I connected with many people, you know, mm -hmm. is just by sharing not just watches or fashion, you know, sometimes I speak about my family, sometimes I speak about my girls, my daughters, mm -hmm. sometimes I speak, I speak about my whatever my mental uh, health situation, mm -hmm. if I'm down, if I'm up. So yeah, I think people relate to genuinity. And this is why I kept doing what I, I do because a lot of people engage and like they were curious and some of them were going through the same 
situation I were going I was going through. So and then if I helped them in a way, mm. then for me this was amazing. Mm. Okay, so before I actually start talking about risk check, we need to rewind a bit and talk about. Um, I guess I would have to say, yeah, the explosion in Lebanon, like what happened to your life? Tell us about the, you know, I, I don't even know where to begin because I watched the video and then obviously yeah. it wasn't what I expected and I was shocked, like really shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Before the explosion, I mean, just to put things in context, uh, Lebanon was going through a very hard time. Uh, we've went through a financial collapse. Uh, where a lot of corruption embedded in the system for many years was involved. Eventually, all of the money that was saved in the bank, people's hard-earned money saved in the bank, was stolen and it vanished. And this was already on its own a very tough situation to deal with, let alone COVID that was hitting at the same time. And last but not least, the devastating blast that took away half of the city so if you look at uh, the situation that I was in, it was quite, everything came crumbling down all of a sudden. And I, I live five minutes away from where the blast happened. My, my store and my office is another five minutes from, from that area. And I was in the store when it happened in, in the office upstairs. And I lived it. I lived the moment. And it, it's something that, that shakes you but being a father and having two girls I was devastated because you lose contact you don't know where you are and then there's no network so you cannot reach everybody you cannot make sure your family is safe so th this five minutes where you're recuperating from this blast mentally and physically is just devastating it's just something that I don't wish upon anyone to go through I mean, I've lived during the civil war in Lebanon. I've been through hard times in Lebanon, but not like this, not like this. This was like unexpected and huge. This was the fourth biggest explosion in the history of the world. And when I look and I showed you the pictures of my house and the store and everything, and when I see where my daughter was five minutes earlier, and then if she stayed there, God forbid something might have happened to her. Mm. And now I see that she's healthy. She's fine. This is mental strength for me. This is where I gain uh, the momentum. This is where I say, okay, any material loss is, is okay. As long as everybody around me is harmless, nothing happened to them. Because there were a lot of sad stories where people lost their father, their mother, where family lost their children. So it, it was a very heartbreaking uh, uh, period. But then again, something good happened from it because I was able to channel the energy that I had on social media and Instagram. And I started raising more awareness for the city and I was engaging in more charitable work. And I'm fortunate enough. I have people who trust me, who respect me, and they, they came on board. So we were doing watch-related product just to raise money. I felt affected, but I felt fortunate that I have a place where I can go and seek shelter. Mm -hmm. My parents' house was away from the, the region where the blast happened. But there were a lot of people who were not that fortunate. They were on the streets. They didn't have anywhere to go, and they had no shelter. So 
this also gave me the energy to to do to do something and i believe in karma i did it and i didn't expect anything in return but i told you the story where i i was gathering the money and giving them to the charity organization mm. and then the lady looked back at me and says what about you where do you live what happened and i told her i live in the area where the explosion happened and she's like but you haven't reached out i'm like no i didn't reach out because i felt like less fortunate people should have the advantage she's like everybody everybody needs help and then the second day she sent me an envelope with money in it so mm. this this is also another example about life and how certain situation in life will put you through an experience where something rewarding comes from it i did it for the for 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 helping the people in pain but then i got something in return which i appreciate and uh, yeah this is about the story of the explosion and what happened back then yeah dan so just to give like the audience a kind of perspective you were doing i look on your instagram page and yeah. there's a lot of nice watches there so <laughs> thank you <laughs> like it seemed like you were doing quite well you know yes like so yes. you were just running your business one day yes and doing really well for yourself quite happy yes. with it, everything's going and then literally over literally overnight it's, yeah. it's all gone very true that's exactly what happened and uh yeah i mean uh again i was fortunate to to have a good career, to have a good life. Me and my brother worked together. We worked hard and we achieved uh, uh, whatever we achieved through hard, hard work. And we don't take anything for granted. This is the way we've been raised. You live the moment. If you're doing well, you have the money, enjoy it. If you don't have it, work harder to make it happen and earn more money. So yeah, you're totally right. I mean, at some point, uh, life was good doing well enjoying the hobby that we all enjoy buying the watches and then all of a sudden all this uh came to a sudden uh, end if you want and the way that uh i was able to to survive is actually because of the situation of if you want the hype that took place in terms of the watches and the watches being so much more than what they're meant to be and having so much value uh, tagged along them. And in all honesty, I had to sell watches to be able to survive and start from scratch. Uh, I took a decision early on to take my kids out of the country and it wasn't easy. I had to move them to the UK because they have the nationality, they have the, uh, the passport. And life in UK is also expensive and it's not easy to support when your business takes a hit and suddenly you're not generating enough income. So I did have to sell my watches and I can never be a hypocrite and say I hate the hype. And I told Long Long this, you know, I'm, I mean, it is what it is. So what happened with the watch industry in some way also turned out to be fortunate for me. And because also I never believed in the banking system. So I'm I'm the type of guy where I don't I don't leave the money in the bank. I either spend it or it's I, I Yeah, exactly. Or I buy watches with it or I spend it on my, my kids mm. and my family. 
So being fortunate to have a certain amount of money put into watches also helped me uh, bounce back, you know, and have a push again. It's not easy when you're 42 and you press control, alt, delete, and you want to start over mm -hmm. and you have to grind and hustle and yeah, pick yourself up. So I had this cushion where I could land on and this, if you want, safety net, which were the value of my watches that I could rely on and support my family with and eventually make my way here to Hong Kong. Ha, ha, ha. Did you sell all your watches? I didn't did sell all my watches. No, I didn't sell. I, I left. I left some. What I did then is I consolidated also my collection. I took the opportunity and to reflect on what really speaks to me, what I really want. And some of the watches, uh, I didn't need all of the money that I was getting from the watches. And at the end of the day, I still enjoy this hobby. I still enjoy watches. Who, who doesn't? Yeah. And I was a bit selfish, you know, mm. so I I made a few shifts and then I, I, if you want, bought watches that I think that I will enjoy, I will love, and that will mean much more to me in my new new journey and my next chapter. So I, I, I kept around five pieces. I came down to this number five, this number stuck in my head. And this is where I'm settled at. You know, I have my five core pieces. Okay. So can I ask, um, how much did you cut it down from? That's number one. And then number two, what survived the cut? I cut it down. Yeah, I've cut it down to, I mean, at some point early on, if you want to put a number on it, maybe I had around 25, 30 pieces. And then it went down eventually to around 15 pieces. And then from there, it drastically went down to five. What survived is because there are a few watches. I, I don't hold any emotional value to any of the watches. I, I believe they all come and go. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you don't have unlimited funds. I wish I could keep all of the watches that I bought. I can't. So like my first uh, Swiss watch is gone. My first Rolex is gone. Mm -hmm. The first watch my father gifted me is gone. So all of these watches, they came and they went. And I was okay with it because um, I'm so much in love with this, uh, this piece of mechanical art that you're always thinking of, okay, I want the next one. I want the next one. And you can't really hold any value, sentimental value, if you're in that mindset. So this this helped me consolidate as well. So what what happened is that if we want to talk about watches, I had eventually culminated into a Grail watch, which was the 5980. I was fortunate to get this watch early on. It was actually a gift from my father when I turned 35. And... Uh, it was something that uh, my father is a very, if you want, strict man. He doesn't give in. He, he He's not the type of guy that will pamper you or that will, if you want, uh, uh, spoil you. So you have to earn your way with him. And I started my career working for him. And when he trusted me and my brother and he saw that we're putting the effort and we're getting the results, and this is where he treated us to a nice watch, you know, as, as, as a thank you for, for, for sticking with me and helping me grow the business. 
So that watch uh, was a grail to me. And eventually uh, this watch became so hyped and I couldn't bear it then anymore. I couldn't wear the watch and enjoy it because there was so many people talking about it and it became so much more than it what should be. It should be a nice watch that you enjoy on your wrist. And now it's like this impossible watch to get, this watch that has doubled in value. So I decided to let go and sell it and buy another watch that I was getting into, which was an, a Richard Mill. But the Richard Mill has a stigma to it and it's not an easy watch to wear. So I went for a more, if you want, uh, lesser uh, show-off show Richard Mill, which is the 6701, the slim version. Mm. And I was able to get this watch because I sold the 5980. And again, this watch became hype. There was a lot of people that, uh, like, they start, uh, I don't know, hunting it, wanting to buy it all of a sudden. People like put in a lot of demand on this watch and it didn't speak to me anymore. And this is, this opened my way into independence and this made it possible for me to eventually get what I consider the holiest of holy grails, which is the MBNF LMP Evo. Mm -hmm. This watch started, my journey with this watch started randomly when I was in the South of France attending my cousin's wedding. And I remember walking along the small streets next to the port and then i see this weird looking watch i'm like damn what the hell is that and as i come closer i don't see a brand name i see letters i see mbnf i'm like what the hell what is this brand with letters and the ensign i, I didn't understand anything i didn't get it we were used to see brands like rolex ap odomar or patek you know you see names you don't see letters so it was all you know intriguing and uh, social media and then made it possible for you to educate yourself more about these brands and i started reading more about max's journey and his brand and his career and i really resonated and i connected with him so long story short i eventually made my way and was able to get that piece so this piece stayed in my collection another piece that i like a lot and is quite versatile that i kept is the 5164 this watch I decided to keep because I wanted my kid to have it and I kept it. Another watch that I kept also to give to my second daughter is the Daytona, the white gold Daytona on Oyster Flex. So these were the two watches that I kept from my, if you want, my previous journey. Mm. And then I made another connection with independent brand Woodwork. And I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Felix. I haven't met Martin. We just chatted on Instagram. But I met Felix during Dubai Watch Week. And again, I always say this, and I told Long Long the other day, I don't collect brands anymore per se. I collect connections. So when I meet somebody, and I find it fascinating when you are able to buy something and the creator is still alive and the creator is there and you can talk to him and he can tell you exactly what went through his mind when he created this watch. So I eventually got an Uhrwerk, the UR100, the carbon fiber one. That's part of the uh, of the collection in the, the the last five. And the last one that made its way is actually also another watch that I I think personally I, I relate to. It's a Grail watch. It's uh, Wei Weiko from the Revolution and the Rake. He he came with the new concept 
he was doing collabs before. It's not something new, but he came with the concept of having something called the Grail Watch, where he brings people together. And he managed to bring Raisons through Benoit Mentien and uh, Alan Silberstein. And they created this beautiful watch that I think is just fantastic. It's an art piece. It has a story. The story of the watch is the Momentum Mori. You know, you live the day and everything comes to an end. And this is something that I resonate with. It's like Carpe Diem sees the day, you know. So, and it's funny because I saw the watch in Geneva. And then, you know, it was very hush-hush. And I'm like, hey, way, nice watch. He's like, oh, we cannot talk about it. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I, I see Alain wearing the same watch. Again, same story. Hey, Alain, nice watch. Oh, secret project. Okay, guys, if it's a secret project, why are you wearing the watch in Geneva? Because <laughs> it's, it's not that secret. That's why. <laughs> Marketing, isn't it? So you tell them yeah. a secret and then you want it yeah, even more. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. okay. It's nice, you know. Yeah. So anyways, you know, I, I got to see the watch. I got to listen to why the watch came to fruition. And I just, uh, I had to have it. So this is now my my five pieces. The MBNF, LMP Evo, the Urwerk 100, uh, CV52, the Raisons. In there, you have the Patek that I kept for my daughter and the Daytona. How do you okay. decide which daughter gets the Patek and which one gets the Daytona? That's a good question. But hey, listen, I forgot something important. Yeah. Uh, the two pieces that I don't know how this slipped my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. The two pieces that I kept for my daughters is uh, I took out of the equation. Because I also have a piece in my collection that is also fascinating for me. I'll answer your question first, and then I'll go back to the piece. So how did I decide who gets what? Is simply because I see their character and I see their personality. And for me, watches also, in a sense, they have their own personality and their own character. So I tried as much as possible to see who will appreciate this watch more, who resonates with this watch more. And so I decided, like, for instance, if you look at if you look at them, the Patek Philip is if you want the higher level watch than the Rolex. Right. So my first born daughter probably should get the Patek Philip and my second born daughter should get the Daytona. But I don't think this way. I don't differentiate between my kids. Mm -hmm. It just happened that my youngers, she's a happy go lucky person. She's she 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 would like to travel the world. And I think a GMT would for her would be great. So she will get the Patek. My other daughter is very meticulous, very precise. Timing for her is very accurate. So I think having a chronograph where she can maybe use it, maybe not, it doesn't matter. But the idea of a chronograph where you can time and be precise fits her personality. So the Daytona will go to to my eldest daughter. Coming back to the final five, these two actually, because you have to you have to 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 look at it and then you have to make up your mind that number five is very very small and it's a number that is very difficult to achieve Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when i decided that these two watches don't belong to me anymore they will belong to them and i will give it to them when they turn 18 Mm -hmm. i i allowed two spots i allowed two spots and one of them is actually the the fp jorn biblos and this Mm -hmm. watch is is actually a very important watch for me because i was i was if you want lucky to live in a country where my idol and somebody i respect and look up to which is claude sphere lives in the same country Mm. and i had the privilege to go and meet with claude and sit with claude and yes talk maybe watches 
But like I said, the relationship developed into more than just watches. It's funny because one day somebody saw me posting that I'm with Claude and he's like, okay, what's the in and out of the next auction? I'm like, this is not what we discussed today. He's like, don't tell me you talked about what you ate for lunch. And I swear, this was exactly what we were talking about. We were talking about what we had for lunch. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the relationship grew from there. And he became more of a father figure. Uh, he became somebody that he's very, Claude is a very important person, not just in the watch industry in general. I mean, the guy is, is an example of how to live your life mm. and what to do with your life. And this is something that I respect. And this is something that I look up to. So I knew that I wanted to have something from him, something that he's influenced. Mm -hmm. And it came in the form of the F.P. Jean Biblos, which was a limited edition watch that they did for the 10th boutique that opened in Lebanon, mm -hmm. him being the AD for Jean in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. So this is a watch also that I chase. This is a watch that means a lot to me. And this is part of my collection currently. So, okay. Yeah. So, so if I had to ask which yeah. piece here yeah, is your go-to, like, like that's, there must be like a watch that yeah. you think, like in terms that's, of comfort, in terms yeah. of seems to work with a lot of stuff, uh, which one do you pick out of that five then? Because they're be very different. honest. Yeah. Yes. They're mm -hmm. very different. Can I guess the MBNF? You guessed 12. <laughs> Spot on. No, but I'll tell you in all honesty, at the MBNF, which is supposed to be this, like if you want a perpetual calendar watch that is supposed to be something very high mechanical achievement. But in the Evo version, the way Max reinterpreted the watch, the watch is on a rubber uh, strap. The watch has this flex ring system that protects the movement. The crown screws down, so it's actually a waterproof watch. And it's funny because when one day I was with Max in Dubai and we were with our daughters by the beach, mm. we were both wearing the LMP Evo and we both took it under the pool just for the heck of it that we're taking an LMP under the pool and we swam with it. And I remember there's a guy who came and he was Max's friend. He introduced me and he looked at us. He, the guy was wearing a Rolex and he looks at us. He's like, you guys wear that to the pool? We're like, hell yeah, we wear that to the pool. That's exactly what we wear. We want to enjoy this piece. So I was, in a way, this this they say that this is a watch built for life. And I truly believe that this watch is built for life. It's something that you can wear day in, day out and do whatever you want. It's made of zirconium, so it's very light. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I, I, I once did a post on Instagram where I said, can you say that your holy grail is your daily beater? And many people couldn't answer that question. In my case, I can say yes. My holy grail is my daily beater and it's my go-to piece. Yeah. So the, the MBNF for sure would be my go-to piece. The thing is, right, yeah. even in this conversation alone, you've said holy grail a few times and it hasn't, it hasn't been the same watch, right? Yeah, so exactly. What, it, what, it, what yes. it really means is like, you're not that loyal to the holy grail, like, right? <laughs> You know, no, in all honesty, <laughs> Holy Grail for me is not about loyalty because your taste changed. Your your, your okay. taste is bound to change. Where you started and where you are today, something happened, you know? Mm. And it's same with fashion. It's same with everything. It's same with cars, you know? You might love this car today, but then tomorrow you want another car. Luckily, I'm not a car guy, so this is something that I don't uh, do. But for me, it's watches. And honestly, Dan, 
there's so much love I have. Like I always used to say, I never cheated on my ex-wife, but I cheat on all my watches. It's because I really, I cannot, I, I cannot stick to a watch. It's not about loyalty. It's just the love, the, the if you want the attachment. But I can say this now, and I can say it with very, with confidence, is that with time, as your taste develops, you reach a point where I'd like to say that we've seen it all, unless they come up with a real James Bond watch that shoots missiles or cut metal or I don't know what. We've seen it all when it comes to watches. So I pretty know what I want. And I can say that today my holy grail will be my holy grail for the next years to come. Mm -hmm. So I think now I'm loyal to the term holy grail. But before, yes, I wasn't because you're, like I said, your taste changes and you don't have the means to keep them all. So you need to keep on rotating. No, I would say I would it's say the same. The let, let me also let me yeah, put it this yeah. way. Yeah, let me put it this way. It's interesting also because I have another philosophy. If we talk about the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. what's the Holy Trinity? Who's to say that the Holy Trinity is Patek, it's AP, and it's VC? For me, the Holy Trinity is like MBNF, De Betune, Urwerk. So this is another also, if you want, terminology when it comes to watches that is quite, if you want, uh, uh, argumentative, subjective. We, we each have different definitions when it comes to it. Mm. So like for you, what would you consider the Holy Trinity? You or Long Long? Do you think the Holy Trinity is what everybody thinks it is? Well, I think it's, uh, for me, Holy Trinity is a term that is more, not what I think it is is that if you said to people like the Holy Trinity, people would know that you were referring to Patek, AP, and Vacheron. Now, mm. you know, do I think that, you know, other brands don't deserve to be in that pantheon of of brands? Of course, I, you know, believe that other brands are worthy of, but as a term, Holy Trinity, traditionally, it's always meant those specific three brands. Yeah, I see what you mean. And actually, it makes sense because it's like, in a sense, if you want what our peers or the community or the higher level people in horology who decided like these three brands are the top three brands. So yeah, it makes sense. But I have to agree with what you said about, um, I'm some, I can totally relate the, to the comment that you said about your holy grail is like you're a daily beater. Because one, yeah, your holy grail changes. Like every year, every every few months, it will change for me. If I see something new that like blows my mind, okay, that becomes my next thing. But I've always believed in if you can buy something, and e- even if you saved up, whatever, you manage to get the thing, that's probably the thing you have been dreaming about for a super long time. Bags, shoes, watches, anything, right? Um, then yeah. you should wear it to death because it should bring you every day should be the best day. It shouldn't be like next week on this day will be my best day. So I believe in using the hell out of that thing. And then, um, but yeah, that's what I always believed. And then there was this saying, I think it was by (laughs) Jay-Z. This is so sad. I'm using rappers, (laughs) but he was like, if you cannot afford the item twice, then you shouldn't be buying it. Okay. But I'm not saying literally you, if you can afford an MBNF twice, it's more like, I really think that if you can buy the thing and you're just going to put it into a safe, like just let someone else have it. Let someone else wear it and have good 365 days with it. So if I'm going to get that piece, I'm just going to wear it. And then 
um, whether I scratch it or whatever, but I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah. Very true. That's exactly it. That is it. So, okay. Hang on. Before we move uh, on. Yeah. Yeah. Because like uh, I was transfixed in your story about the whole Lebanon thing, like the blast yes. and everything, right? And yes. then quickly went into watches. But yes. Um, was the business that you went were previously in not something that you could return to? And then I'd also like to ask, the mental state of something like that, of going through mm -hmm. that in a, in a period at 42, you said you were. Yeah. Right. Um, most people at 42, I would say, are settled in what they're going to be doing for, you know, a considerable part of their life. You know, as you say, you've got dependents. Um, so, you know, the flexibility is somewhat, you know, not as flexible as if you were single. Um, it's different, I guess, when you were like 20, 25. What about that mental state to get through that? Yeah. So to answer the first part of your question about the business, I my business is fashion retail. So obviously with the, the economical downturn, Lebanon becoming a failed state, people not have access to their money, this business is somehow affected tremendously. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that the business was bleeding or we were losing money. I'm fortunate enough that my partner, who's my brother, he's a very uh, shrewd, smart businessman. He adapts <clears throat> very quickly and he was able to uh, keep the business running. But then again, it wasn't generating enough money. The, it, we were not doing the same numbers we were doing before. So... And we took we took a personal uh, cut, me and my brother, in a sense where we decided not to earn our salaries anymore, obviously because the company couldn't pay the salaries we were uh, earning. And we wanted to make sure that our staff are treated well. We wanted to make sure that our staff also survives this harsh period. And being able to survive without a salary for two years, partly because I was able to sell some watches and have some money to keep myself floating is also something that we we were fortunate to be able to do. And the business eventually picks up. It has picked up, but very slowly, not to the same uh, trend that it was before. So that's why I decided to, if you want, alleviate the burden and have one less of a worry uh, and financial burden on the company to have to support me. And it was always the, the, the division of the roles between me and my brother and the company. My brother was always the guy who was running the business. So, and he's very much hands-on and he's the guy that has the vision, the plan and knows how to make it happen. So that's why I decided to take a step back and seek opportunities elsewhere. Now, the second part is the mental uh backlash yes it's devastating and yes if, if if i want to look at it and if i want to think negatively and and just look at the worst i wouldn't be where i am today i wouldn't be able to function i wouldn't be able to think clearly i wouldn't be able to make the step and the move i did the thing that kept me going is that i have a responsibility in this life i always tell my parents 
I didn't choose to come on this life. You guys made the decision to have kids. And eventually I'm one of the kids that you got. And I applied this with my daughters. They didn't choose to come to this life. I chose to have my daughters, my kids. And I owe it to them not to give up. I owe, to, I owe it to them to keep fighting, to keep hustling, no matter how old I am. It's very true what you said, Dan, that when you're in your early 40s, you're somehow not really relaxed and ready to retire, but you're in a position in your life where there's a certain direction you're going in, there's stability, and then you start to plan ahead. So the thing that kept me going is that I wanted my kids to have a better future. I wanted my daughters to be able to live in a world where they have a fair opportunity. And for me to do that was for me to take them out of Lebanon and for me to go outside and seek opportunities outside. So this was my main motivator. And this was the only thing that kept me going and just looking ahead and not looking backward. It's very hard because sometimes you just shut your mind and you close your eyes and images or flashbacks from your previous life comes in front of you. And it's it can bring you down, but I choose not to let it bring me down. I choose to disregard these flashbacks, just think of them as memories from my past and look ahead and dream about what I want in the future. And also, it, it's, it is quite rewarding and helpful when you're doing something that you love. I love fashion, but I didn't choose to work in fashion. Fashion was chosen on my behalf. Like I said, my father, my father had this, if you want, uh, regime in his mindset that my kids would work for me. So we were not given the option to choose what we want to do. Mm. It's like you go to school, you do your military service. When you're done, you graduate from university and you come work for me. So it doesn't mean I didn't like what I did. I loved what I did. But it wasn't my calling. My calling was always watches. And to be fortunate to find a job in watches in this tough economy and to be able to come here and do it is also mentally what keeps me going. Mm. So, What does it feel like to start over again, though? Like, to be in that... And, and you went on detailed about how you got over the, uh, you know, the, the blast. Yeah. But what about coming from relatively such a high position and being able to afford these watches right and yeah that are, i mean i'm just going to say it right I, I i respect a lot of people that can do that you know that mental barrier yeah you, you kind of like as you go up you get more lonely and you also think you might think a thing or two about yourself Very and true. then to come back down to oh, i don't know how to say it like common ground yeah and start again because you've yes. just climbed up a mountain and then yep. you just like think crap yeah i've got even a bigger mountain now and i'm not the same age as i was when i was 25 right yeah i uh, i owe this to my parents i owe this mentality and the way i was able to come over it is because the way i've been brought up in my family my my father was a, was was very uh, he's what he was a hard working man you know we would he would spend his 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 time traveling, building the business. And we used to see him probably maybe two or three months a year. So, and at some times it was difficult. Uh, at some times he was, he was good. He was able to have a good living, but at some times it was challenging. 
And the thing, we never felt it. As kids, we never felt it. So we always appreciated the moment we're in. And whether we could afford a nice life or not, we were always the same. So this is something I owe my parents that whenever I had a certain lifestyle that I'm enjoying certain things in life that are above average and maybe not many people can enjoy, I was okay. But if you take that away from me and you strip everything and I have to go back to zero, I'm also okay. It doesn't matter as long as I have the people around me that I love, that are healthy, that are doing well. As long as I can put food on the table, have a roof on top of my head, it's okay. I don't need to drive the nice car. I don't need to wear the nice watches or dress in a certain way. So this is how I, I was able to, to do it is because the way I've been brought up. And your second, a second part to your question, which is also very difficult, and I will share it with you. It's not easy when, when you, you are in, a, in, in your career where you don't have to report to anyone. You're your own boss. And yes, I started working for my father, but eventually me and my brother uh, took our own way. The, we were, the business was we were the agency for, for a brand, a German brand, Hugo Boss in the Middle East. The business shifted for many agencies and mother companies. It's the same in the watch industry where those guys didn't want the middleman anymore. They wanted to operate directly their stores and, and go in the market directly. So this business model had to change. And in 2015, me and my brother decided that since this business is changing and my father will retire, we need to create something. And that's how we moved from wholesale to retail. So long, long story short, I was working with my brother. I was my own uh, boss. Don't have to report to anyone. Uh, I had the liberty to come and go as I pleased. And now suddenly I'm working with the company. I have somebody to report to. My time is not, uh, I'm not at liberty to take time off as much as I want. So this is, this is the harder part. It's not as hard to start from scratch, but it's hard to adapt to a new environment mm -hmm. where now I'm an employee and I'm not an employer. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, I mean, that story was heavy, but it's about <laughs> you're right? lost. You're lost. Yeah. Okay. Because I actually think, um, I think hearing the bombing. So me and Omar obviously have met in real life and we have talked about this already, but I think the one that really made me go, whoa, right. Was, um, his marriage. And because you can, because I don't think a lot of people speak about failed marriages with so much clarity they are always still um like either kind of like brush it off and kind of feel like okay that was a mistake in my life or that was just a period of my life but there isn't actually much digging and much clarity so I just wanted to ask um since we're speaking openly about it so you're divorced and what is your biggest takeaway from that marriage and relationships so again, this happened unfortunately at the same time <laughs> yeah. where everything was yeah. was going south, and the divorce happened during the same uh, period. Uh, listen, at the end of the day, uh, I think marriage is, is 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 a very hard institution, 
it is something that people should walk in being aware of everything that happens in the marriage because at the beginning it's like this puppy love happy go lucky where you're everything you know is nice and you're in la la land but then a lot of shifts happen around you whether it's uh, getting kids having responsibility or whether your career is changing and usually people don't adapt easily and uh, it's very important for people to know that the person that you you meet and you're marrying into is bound to change with time so you have to respect that and you have to accept that you cannot say okay this is who you were and this is who i want you to be the successful a successful marriage is always built on compromise when you're able to compromise and you're able to adapt this is how you have a successful marriage now in today's world nobody's willing to compromise nobody's willing to adapt uh we live in a selfish world where whether the man or the woman they have their own reasons and they don't want to give up they don't want to sacrifice so in my situation is all of these came came together i changed she changed my life changed my lifestyle changed and yeah you reach a point where it doesn't make sense anymore to stay together i was always fighting the idea of divorcing because i i wanted to protect my daughters i wanted my daughters to have a healthy uh, if you want uh, a healthy childhood having their parents around but then it's okay it's okay if if we're not around it's okay if we're divorced it's not going to affect them negatively as long as we know how to handle them so being scared and being put in a situation where you might be scared and not taking the right uh, approach and not making the right decision you have some time to take take a step back and reevaluate your your situation now in my case i tried to to stay in this marriage but again if one person is trying and one person is willing to fight for it and the other is not what's the point you know so eventually it came to an end and it happened also where they had to leave the country so it was easier on them so it's not like we are living in the same country and we are divorced so now my my kids live with my ex-wife in the UK and I'm here in Hong Kong mm. so this also made it easier you know to adapt and to accept the idea of being separated as a family and in today's world where you have the chance to talk to them on facetime or zoom or whatever i get to see them every day i'm i'm involved in their life because i'm very attached to my daughters and they're very attached to me so we're fortunate that we can still see each other talk to each other share our life together we don't have to be under one roof to do that mm-hmm. and yeah you just need to move on you know you need to always look look ahead like i said in everything in life you need to look ahead don't look back just keep looking ahead and move forward i just have to say i mean your positivity is like really i think i think you can feel it through the podcast but in real life it's very contagious like <laughs> thank you it, it kind of makes you feel like okay there's actually nothing bad to think about and like in my life or whatever because yeah the way that you always just tell me like okay you it's how you choose to look at life and the situation right so is this do you think this is rock bottom like you have already reached it and you're now like coming around or do you are you more like okay life is still gonna throw me a lot of like curveballs and 
no, I think I think this is rock bottom. I don't, I don't think I can handle any other curveballs. Yeah. But I'm I'm always ready for 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 the uncertainty. I'm I'm ready if something happens. You know, I'm gonna share something with you for the first time, long long. We haven't spoken about this, me and you, before. Mm. And part of 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 the way I think and the way I process thing is because at a young age, I was diagnosed with uh, having a lot of anxiety, mm. and this is something that is uh there's a chemical i don't know if we can say chemical there's an enzyme in your body it's called the serotonin enzyme this serotonin enzyme is secreted in your brains and it's what keeps you balanced sane in my in my case i don't produce enough of this enzyme so i'm I'm quite anxious and there's a lot of things that happen uh in my psych in my psychosis where i'm thinking of always the bad, the negative. At some point in my life, I was hypochondriac, fear of death. I was always worried that I will die. And mm-hmm. if I die, I will die not achieving what I wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of negativity that led to this positivity. And of course, there's a medical treatment to it where you have to take a pill that regulates the enzyme. But I believe in in fighting this because it's a mental problem. So I can find it mentally as well of course i need the substance i need to take the chemicals that will help me balance it but again it's a mind it's it's a mind game where you need to fight it you need to fight the idea okay that now i'm anxious now i'm, I'm having a panic attack so there was a lot of negativities that was sucking me and was taking the life away from me mm-hmm. that i just decided that i don't want to live this life anymore i don't want this negativity to control me mm-hmm. i want to always be positive i want to be hopeful I want to be cheerful. So I initially went back to the kid who was chubby and making everybody happy. So yeah. this is this is where I see myself and this is where I feel comfortable. And so this is why I do what I do and I keep hopeful and positive. But it's uh, it's never a certainty, long, long. You never know yeah. what what cards you'll be dealt in this life. I just need to be prepared, you know, and take it at face value when it happens. Mm. All right. Mm. I, I think like, when you reach like certain moments in your life, which are very difficult, uh, I've always found that there's only actually two ways to kind of go. There isn't a middle, there isn't a middle ground because you're either okay, you're going to be okay, or you're not going to be okay. Like you can either like try and make something positive out of it, but if you don't go that path, it's going to swallow you up whole, right? There isn't, there's no like, middle part where no matter what you know if you don't do anything you're going to be okay you know because if you don't address things and you kind of like just float away you can get lost and it can be take a you know considerable amount of time to to come back i'm not being very specific because i'm just talking about from my own experience yeah yeah and i think um sometimes just that fact that option of Oh, if I don't try and make the most of it and stand up, that could happen is enough to make the other to make the you know to make me stand up. Because once you've once you've been down that path, it's such a a nightmare, such a difficult place to get out of. The idea would be to not get in there in the first place. And also, you know, something I've always taken comfort in is no matter how hard life is, 
you know, I'm still here. And I'm, I, I think I'm, you know, live a decent life. Um, so no matter what life has thrown at me, it hasn't been enough to take me out yet anyway. Right. Exactly. Uh, it also yeah. gives you confidence because once you've been through a couple of episodes, the three, four, five episodes of something really shit. And most of the time, let's be honest, it's got to be really shit because it's got to be that shit to catch you off guard. Because if you, if you, you can, most of the time you can like see things coming, but it's the fact that they, these things you can't see coming that take mm. you out. Right. Yeah. And yeah, if you've still managed to get through it, you don't know how you did it, but you got through it. You know, that next thing coming you just need to stick in there. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually I think we all kind of know, at least three of us here on this podcast know that life, there is a certain element of, well, high element of luck involved and it's about being there at the right time not necessarily like you were that smart enough to not require luck and just dig your way out and you know when i refer specifically since it is a horological podcast i'm I'm talking about timing you know being having that idea or being in the right place at the right time knowing the right people um yeah and I couldn't that's... agree more than your luck is a big factor in everything. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you one last question before a risk check. Um, yeah. I wanted in my question, I actually just wrote like, what do watches mean to you this whole time? But I think I wanted to be more clear. And um, if I just use myself as an example, if I live through what you live through, I would still keep a bunch of watches. And I think anyone that isn't really into watches, their first reaction might be, why wouldn't you just sell everything? Like, I mean, your life is falling apart. Like you should sell everything and then you need to focus. But my argument would be, it's the only thing that, it's the only consistency I have left. Something to keep me, to remind myself, like this is somewhat part of my identity. It's something I feel safe around where i can calm yeah. down a bit is this mm-hmm. what it was for you yes absolutely i mean i didn't choose honestly to love watches watches came to me it's it's i don't know how to explain it i don't have this cliche story where my journey started with my first watch no watches like came into my life and it just happened one day i started looking at people's wrists and looking at what they're wearing and I was fascinated by this. And I grew uh, very much attached to, to horologically in general and to watches. And it's like, it's like eating, you know. Eating for me was something I did when I was happy, when I was sad, when I was bored. Watches is the same. I read about watches. I look at watches when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm bored. So it's something that there's this connection there i cannot explain it's 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 something that is always have been something that will 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 give me if you want great pleasure when i when i do when i do read about it or when i hunt the piece or when i actually get the watch wear it on my wrist so yes having this and having watches still part of my life is important for me it's something that I like to one day also share with my daughters. And 
God, I have tried. I have tried taking my girls like with me when I go to watch stores. And yeah, so far I've been failing miserably. They're like, no, no, daddy, we're not going into the store. No, not another watch store. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, I really need them to get into this, you know, because yeah. I want to share this yeah. with them. Yeah. But it's okay. It's going to take its time. And it, if it will happen, it will happen. So, yes, people might say, why not sell everything? And then, yeah, forget about watches and do something else and move on. It's just like you said, Long Long, you need this stability. You need this, if you want, safety net in your life. And for me, it's watches. And I remember very well when I, when I got the LMP Evo, the MBNF, I was very vocal about it. I said, this is not the right time for me to get a watch. Mm. But hey, listen, I restructured my life. I reshuffled my cards and I made a plan and the plan that I've put in place is okay. And I've, I'm able to, if you want, uh, support my family, I'm not uh, depriving them of anything. And at the same time, I can get this watch. Mm. So why not? It's a win-win situation. Mm. So it's not like that I am buying watches or focus on watches and I am disregarding taking care of my family or not stepping up for other more important expenses and expenses in my life. Mm. I'm able to balance both and why not do it? Why not do it? Mm. Because it's important also. I'm not a selfish person in the sense that everybody comes before me. It was always the case, whether when I was married, my ex-wife always came before me. My kids will always come before me my brother, my immediate family, sometimes also my close friends. So I'm not a guy who thinks of himself. But I came to a point and I've realized that you matter. I matter. Mm. So if something makes me happy and it's not harming anybody around me, I can still do it and I can mm. still bring some joy to myself. Mm. So that that's why I, I, I kept doing it. Mm. All right. My final question is, um, well, we don't need to introduce risk check. Austin's been on, everybody knows about it, but yeah. from your perspective, um, I mean, if you're in Hong Kong, please do visit Omar is there, but, um, what do you hope to achieve with, with risk check and what kind of experience do you hope that people feel and receive when they go there? So let me just take you a little bit further onto how I ended up with Rischeck and Austin. So Austin and I met like me and you met uh, on, on, on Instagram. You know, you, you find this account and you see that the guy has or the girl has the same passion and hobby as you. You initiate mm-hmm. a conversation, whether by comment or private message. And so this is how we met. We met a few years ago. And we had this bond, you know, I respected him, he respected me, always leaving nice comments. And I was doing a similar business model in Lebanon before the crisis. Mm-hmm. Not as developed as risk check, but similar to risk check. And when everything came crumbling down and Austin was doing risk check, I don't know why I felt like, damn, this is, this is like what I really wanted to do. And this is something amazing. Mm-hmm. And one day he, he, he posted that I'm looking to hire passionate mm-hmm. people. If you're interested, reach out. And I, honestly, I, I, the minute I saw the post, I sent him a message. 
I'm like, hey, Austin, if you're serious about it, I'd love to come on board. And he immediately answered and he said, really? I, I'm like, yeah, mm. really. Mm. And it just happened organically. Mm-hmm. So the way I see RiskCheck and why I decided to join RiskCheck is because I believe in the vision of the company. I believe in the mode of the company. Mm-hmm. The company is a very transparent network. It's a network where we're trying to help people move watches, but also acquire watches. Mm-hmm. The way to look at it, it's a platform that is moving watches from collector to collector. Mm-hmm. Most of our clients that consign watches with us are very passionate people. Mm-hmm. They are people who 90% of the time letting go of the watch because they want to buy another watch. And if we find, if we can find somebody, like you said, you said it before, if the watch is sitting there collecting dust and you're not enjoying it, you might as well mm-hmm. let go and have somebody else enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So if I can find somebody that will enjoy this watch and put it on his wrist and really like if I can make that happen, this is something that is, if you want, priceless. And we're able to do that with risk check. We're able to, to, to bring back trust into this community because trust is very important. In that business, there's a lot of shady area. There's a lot of things that are happening. Uh, so it's important to have trust. Mm-hmm. So when you have somebody who's trustworthy, who's there to help you, I think it's important. I didn't have the, the privilege to have someone like that. Austin definitely didn't have the privilege to have someone like that back when he started getting into watches. So we now have the privilege to give somebody else an opportunity to have the watch and to buy it the right way. Because at the end of the day, we wouldn't exist if the market isn't where it is today. I always say, I find it very sad that a guy who's a young graduate, who's worked for a couple of years and he's made it, and now he wants to go in and buy his first watch. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the a fair chance of being able to f- buy a first watch right off the shelf like we used to 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And this is actually sad. This, this saddens me because this shouldn't be this way. I do understand there's a certain limit for supply. Mm, they cannot increase certain production. Mm-hmm. But hey, let's not kid ourselves. Mm-hmm. The demand is not that big to face this issue. So if we can help somebody, you know, make make it through the industry and getting his first watch the proper way, it's a win-win situation for everyone. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a nice answer. Um, It's always interesting to hear like a real, like, I guess what I want to say is your reason for joining is more than okay changing your life and everything it really is like you believe in the vision and you want to see this thing grow and it's very true set out to do 100 percent, exactly that's exactly you said it right i believe in the vision and i just want to yeah i want to apply it i want to make it happen i want to grow the business together with austin you know reach new new places new dimensions so with the right mindset, being honest, doing it uh, in a very humble way, I think we can we can make a difference. Mm. I think right. the key difference is, is yeah. that Austin replies you. Like, he doesn't reply me if I message him. <laughs> I think I'm in the general side. I'm not in primary. That must, that must no, be you're in is. the message request. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, message request. So maybe put in a word to him, like, 
yeah to check every so often daniel yeah. <laughs> yes. And by the way, sure. I didn't receive a message from you, by the way, either. So, yeah. From me? Uh, yeah, I expect to follow later. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah. One million percent. <laughs> yeah, but I follow Shanghai Watch Gang. I don't know if I follow you personally, but I follow Shanghai Watch Gang, which is you, in a sense. Omar, don't do it. <laughs> 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 all right. Let's go and tell Actually, you know. Yeah. 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 I'm going to do it right now. So let's okay. do it. Right. Anybody that listens to the podcast, follow me. No. Mr. What's Daniel your idea? Sum. Mr. Daniel no, Sum. No, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> Mr. MR or M I S T E R? Uh, Mr. as an MR. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. That, that just made me one extra follower. Listen, follow. Yeah. And not just to follow. Also, I'm going to like your last post and, and the one unfollow, before. Unfollow. And then unfollow. <laughs> Okay. But hey, he doesn't even follow me. He's preaching and he doesn't follow me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't... No, no, no. You have to understand. Like, for me, it's a one sided relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's only yeah. has to be beneficial for him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. We got to go yeah, into our reverse around. So, yes. Omar, questions. Yes. Where I ask you the question, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Anyway, I ask one indirectly, but we can go yeah. back to it. But the way I, 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 I wanted to ask you guys is, is a question that I ask myself, mm-hmm. knowing what we know today about what these watches bring to us and how much joy they bring to us. If you, if you can go back in time, would you change your career? Would you pursue watches? Would you pursue uh, whether being a watchmaker or being in the industry would you do that if you had the chance to go back okay. oh okay i can answer that question yeah, straight away because go. i thought about that so much and the yeah, answer is no recently. no okay yeah no i wouldn't because i believe that i am in the position i am in right now because i am in supposed to be in the position i am right now you know like the idea of going into it earlier that maybe I could be advanced more early. Um, I just don't think holds true because, you know, I don't know if you know this Omar, but I think everybody in the podcast must know by now, <laughs> like I used to be a dentist. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but without dentistry, I might not, I don't even know how I would have come in cl- contact with watches because, you know, okay. it gave me the economic, capability to afford these things mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's important to stay curious who knows you know like yeah i'm at phillips now 15 years later will i be doing something else i think it's important to stay curious mm-hmm. uh, and also courageous you know you to make the most of life you have to go for it you know you have to actually appreciate that it time is so limited and there isn't much to kind of not regret but you, you just have to make the most of the time right? interesting and that you yeah. you will be the most you'll be the limited person you'll you'll be limiting yourself right i'm not okay. sure things limit yourself right I think how it's about like state. yeah how about like would you be interested in like becoming a watchmaker was that something that like if you look back now with because for me, 
I would I would love to be a watchmaker. Like if I can go back, I would love to go to watch school, go to the Swiss watch school or whatever, and learn how to do these watches. No, that's never come across my mind. Like okay. wanting to be a watchmaker or a Swiss watchmaker, yeah. or because uh, I don't like the idea of sitting at a bench all day, like okay. doing the same thing repetitively. That's but just you so were sitting me. in a different bench treating clients with the as and a dentist. That, 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 that was one of the problems. Ah, interesting. See? I see. I wasn't going okay. out in the world and seeing things. All the patients were coming in telling me about their trips okay. and, and everything. And I, my four walls, my world was literally four walls. And, I don't know. And the nurse. And the nurse. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, no, it's true. It's true. You know, I, you get to know the nurse better than anybody. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and. I didn't want it to be like 20 years down the line. It would be like that. Okay. That, that was a big problem for me. Nice. Nice. How about you, Long Long? I say I have two answers. One is if I could go back, yeah, I want to relive some things, especially career-wise, because I didn't choose to do the things I wanted to do because, uh, but yeah, actually, literally because my parents said no. And then what I think it made like how it affected me was that obviously my self-esteem everything did not reach its full potential because I wasn't doing things that felt like myself so that part I think I regret Mm -hmm. um but in terms of would I go into the watch industry I still don't think so but if I Mm -hmm. do eventually someday go into it it definitely will be through something not directly related it could be writing it could be media it could be other things but not directly related to touching the watch because yeah. at one point in my life i really 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 liked art and i pursued it and i went to work at a gallery and it killed it for me the the passion so i made a mental note at that age although i was only 21 i told myself um like never mix your passion and your work I guess that's just for me though and then Mm. lastly I think for me I've always said this on the podcast the whole point about spending such a stupid amount of money on a watch right is the story behind it like the idea someone that was sitting there making it for me so I want that to happen I want that that person to make it for me I don't want to be the person making it yeah so yeah that's my answer Yeah. And by the way, I saw your cute little dog today that you drew. Thank you. Which actually, uh, yeah, I think you did very well there. Yeah, decided to do something that makes me like happy. <laughs> so I decided to draw again. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Maybe one day you can design a dial or actually a watch. Yeah. You never know. That will be, Um, I guess you will be my first customer. <laughs> first and only customer. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on i reckon if you made like a 50 yeah. piece run right now yeah yeah people would buy it off just straight All off right. your instagram people love you sure i will i'll let you guys know once yeah. i no honestly i have to don't need to give me one said. i don't want that shit yeah all right thanks <laughs> <laughs> <Dick>. <laughs> No, but I have to agree with Dan that sometimes people well, you don't on... want that shit. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that that actually long long has as a genuine following base and people do actually love her because when I was like, when I landed in Hong Kong, a lot of people like, the, Oh, did you meet Long Long? Oh, did you meet Long Long? Yeah, How was Long yeah. Long in real life? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
actually and this is yeah sorry yeah. Just, no, no, it, just came into, it just came into my head like you know what it should be it should be one of those you know those minute repeater watches right you know when <laughs> yeah. you open the back case and there's like sexual like yeah. movement going on yeah yeah dude that would sell like cupcakes like yeah, you should but... definitely do that like so the drive <laughs> is of like people having sex no, you in it, you know, oh, you as a man. <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely do so well. <laughs> dong, 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 dong. You know. God. Again, edit this part out. Okay. <laughs> Finally, we're moving to quick fire. It's just so we can get rid of Dan, but it's okay. Omar, we can meet separately <laughs> without Dan. Yeah. You can't take me anywhere. Like Austin doesn't really take me anywhere. You know, Austin only meets me like one-to-one. -one. He never takes me anywhere. <laughs> Next time you're in Hong Kong, we'll make sure we get together, all of us. Yeah, okay. all of us equals Omar and you only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone kind of like, you know, just doesn't turn up. Yeah. All right, quick fire. If you could keep yeah. one watch forever, which one would mm. it be? Well, it's like choosing between my daughters. I cannot, yeah. but I have thought about it, to be honest with you. And it's going to be between the MBNF and the Jorn. Mm. And if today you ask me to just keep one, ay, 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 I'm going to say, I'm going to say the MBNF, the mm. MBNF for sure. Yeah. Mm. But knowing that the journe, I mean, I will give it to somebody who will appreciate it. So I will give it to my daughter and explain to her what this yeah. watch meant for her to keep it. Yeah. Okay. Um, the one place you frequent the most in Hong Kong, aside from your workplace, and you cannot say <laughs> Starbucks because I know like you go to Starbucks every day as well. <laughs> oh, my God. My, quick fire. I'm not good at this because honestly, like my first question was going to be Starbucks, but uh <laughs> Oh, I would say 7-Eleven, probably on my way back home. <laughs> All right. <laughs> One thing you would change about the watch industry? Oh, I would change the whole supply and demand thing. Mm. I would change that. I would change that, definitely. If I can have an influence in a way to rectify this mm. and be able to go back to the days that yeah. where watches were accessible, I would do everything in my power to make that happen. Mm. best way to relax mm. doing a massage all right favorite fashion clothing brand don't say hugo boss please no 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 it's isimiyaki uh i thought so because i remember your pants okay yeah yeah uh first thing you do when you wake up coffee it has to be coffee okay i put the kettle on and then yeah. i have to have my coffee okay weirdest thing you have found about hong kong because <laughs> there's so many why, why, is, that so why is that so funny why is that so funny yeah don't be rude yeah don't be rude <laughs> okay. weirdest thing is it's not, it's not weird i mean it's just you need to adapt to it people mm -hmm. here they speak very loud <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes you're in an environment in a work environment and then yeah. all of a sudden like the yeah. tone is very high and people yeah. are shouting i'm like shit what is happening but it's have normal conversation a, have you had dim sum on a sunday <laughs> uh dim sum on a sunday not yet no yeah okay that's um, where it's like at its peak loudest all okay right, we, we can go for dim sum next time on a sunday yeah. there we go yeah. that's a date let's do that 
someone you wish you could meet, dead or alive? Wow. Someone I wish I could meet. You know what? Uh, I have thought about this question before. And there is a person I would love to meet just because of what he went through in life mm. and how humble he came out of it. He's Nelson Mandela. Mm. So when you look at this guy that spent a good part of his life in prison in his cell and came out and became the president of South Africa, mm. I mean, that's a story. Like I, I have goosebumps now just mentioning his name. That's definitely somebody I would love to be able to have a drink with and just him telling me what he went through. Mm. Okay, last one. Best thing about Lebanon that everyone should know about? Oh, we have beautiful girls. No, <laughs> <laughs> no that's true, actually. That's true, yeah. That's Best really thing true. About... <laughs> I would say Lebanon... all girls are beautiful, but <laughs> Lebanon best thing seems about, to catch your uh... eye a bit more. Yeah, but the best thing about my country yeah. is if you take out politics and you take out corruption, it really is a beautiful country. We have four seasons. It's a, it's a small country where in a matter of less than an hour, you could be mm -hmm. on the slope skiing and then at the beach swimming. So it has a lot of culture. It's a country that has been through a lot. It's a country that has... Uh, been destroyed quite a few times through history, but they always manage to pull themselves up. So, okay, that that's what I think is the most beautiful about this country. I'm going to like we are this tiny like, dot. Yeah, it's we are this tiny dot on the map. Yeah, but nobody's being able to erase this dot. We are still there, you know. Okay. I'm I'm gonna ask one bonus question that Dan wants to ask, but he sure. hasn't asked. He would probably want to know <laughs> your thoughts about hong kong girls and their looks <laughs> <laughs> okay uh to be honest and i'm gonna be very honest yeah. very honest uh, and please don't use long long as a barometer no 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 i want to be honest I, I i'm not being able to judge the hong kong girls because of the mask so you're covered and i can only see the eyes and yeah. it's very misleading because the eyes can be pretty but the whole face maybe is different so I didn't experience this and I cannot say or I cannot form an opinion, but I'll tell you something about Hong yeah. Kong girls, the ones that I've interacted with. Yeah. I think they're very friendly. I think they're cute. I think there's a certain charm to them, but I've heard so many stories that maybe it's not, uh, it's not appropriate to, to, <laughs> to speak about right now. Maybe in private, I can tell right. you guys. All right. But okay. yeah, that that's that's in general what I think. All right about the, the girls in Hong Kong. Damn, I, I was going to say yeah. your previous comment, which was yeah. you said like if you take uh, politics and corruption out, Lebanon's a beautiful place. You can yeah. like literally replicate that for a lot of countries. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. If you take politics and corruption out of many countries, they're very very beautiful places. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but but for us it's quite different because it's the system is 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 it's like it's cancer you know it's mm -hmm. cancer it, it's 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 spread all over the place and i don't see there's no cure for it okay. there's no cure for it mm. all right mm. thank you so much omar i hope you enjoyed that absolutely i loved it uh, we can go on for hours i mean you guys are amazing hosts you guys own what you do 
And I've been listening. I, I told you this the other day. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to click off and disconnect and you don't want to be on watching TV or on your phone. So you put on a podcast and you listen to people talking. And I've, I've enjoyed uh, you guys talking about this passion of ours with different people. So thank you for doing what you did. Thank you for having me on your channel. Thank you. And it, it's been uh, it's been truly enjoyable. And yeah. <laughs> It's been our pleasure. Thank right, you. Bye. Thank you, Dan. And nice meeting you, Dan, after all these years. Yeah, you don't want to meet him in real life. It's a different In experience. person? Okay. Yeah. I'm more amazing <laughs> in real life. I'll let you know that. <laughs> okay, guys. If you want to find Omar, um, his Instagram is at the wrong wrist. And as always, you can find Dan and me um, on the waiting list podcast page. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. I'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to The Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at The Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.